0: Good Match Show. Welcome everyone to the Good Match Show. I'm your solo host today on Yellow Day Angeles. Just going to jump into it. In the past week, WWE has had quite a tumultuous time to say the least. Um I think that if you want to get into the economics of it, definitely check out Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. And if you want a more broken down succinct version, um listening to the rest, rest Listening to the Wrestling Observer Radio from today, Dave Meltzer dives into it pretty uh, pretty tough. So I don't feel the need to cover it here because I think it's covered much better and it would just be me restating things and talking about things that I'm not completely sure of because I don't follow it as hard as they do. So I will, however, list the name of WWE personnel that has been uh, future endeavored, which includes Drake Maverick, who will still be competing in the WWE Interim, interim Cruiserweight Tournament, Um, Kurt Hawkins, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, EC3, Leo Rush, Eric Young, Heath Slater, Aiden English, Kurt Angle, Sarah Logan, referee Mike Chioda, Eric Rowan, Primo and Epico, Micah Maria Canellis, Zack Ryder, No Way Jose, and Rusev, as well as furloughing backstage producers Billy Kidman, Mike Rotunda, Dave Finley, Pat Buck, Sean Devari, Scott Armstrong, Sarah Stock, Shane Helms, Lance Storm, now for some good news, as Meltzer reported in Japan, a big under the radar story is that all the different Japanese companies together today met with government officials. The companies went together to show solidarity and made very reasoned requests to protect the health and finances of talent. They asked very little for themselves. So if I, am, if I understood this correctly, all that the Japanese co- companies asked for was testing supplies for their staff as well as financial compensation for their staff primarily the wrestlers who are not wrestling right now um the representatives for the companies were from all japan suwama stardom mayu iwatani ddt with Hiroshima noah was uh naimichi marifuji new japan tanahashi hiroshi Has was the main representative as well as some other people from diana and other companies um now then just in general for japan at this time there's uh I think it's finally somewhat shut down, which is unfortunate. If there's any company still running, I think it might just be Pro Wrestling Noah as they are doing the Global Tag League out of their studios. Um, the Global Tag League so far has been okay. Um, it hasn't really been anything that I would recommend to go out of your way of. I would say that if you're starved for wrestling at this time, it's a successful diversion, but it's um, it's nothing... Astonishing. The matches have a very off sort of pace to them. It feels like they are working matches that would other that would normally be worked in front of a crowd, but obviously that's not the case right now. Uh, you need to change it up. You need to innovate and find new ways to tell stories in the ring without the audience being there. Um, so, and also just some really really strange booking decisions. Like, I'm I'm on the finals now, but for instance, they had. Um, Shiazaki get pinned in the first in the opening match, and then the team that pinned him lost in two minutes on the next day, and it just none of it really makes sense. Like Rene Dupree beating Congo and things like that. Only, and you know that these teams aren't going to win, and Rene Dupree isn't really a lasting image of pro wrestling no, i guess i'm just confused by the booking decisions mostly in this tournament none of it makes sense to me whatsoever but yeah if you are starved for wrestling entertainment i would definitely recommend checking out the or no, i definitely would not recommend but if you need something check out noah's global tag league um there are five episodes and each episode is less than an hour now then on to some good stuff from Japan, BJW Big Japan Wrestling Strong Climb, which is a biannual G1 style tournament. This year with four blocks, in the A block we have Yoshiki Inamura, Ryuchi Kawakami, Daichi Hashimoto, T-Hawk Akira Hyoto, in the B block we have Kazuki Hashimoto, Daisuke Sekimoto, Taichi Takazawa, Isami Kadaka and Koisato. Sato, in the C block we have Ryoto Hama, Yuji Yuji Hino, Quiet Storm, Hideyoshi Kamatani, and in the D-Block, Takuya Nomura, Yuya Aoki, Jake Lee, Yasufumi Nakanui, and Kazuma Kakuda. Just a stacked tournament of some of the best independent wrestlers of Japan. We have representatives of Stronghearts, representatives of Wrestle 1, representatives of 2AW. Um, A lot of of companies in the mix here as well as Big Japan, obviously. Some matches to check out. I've only gotten to see the first three days so far. I'm really hoping the rest release soon. I believe that they're up to day nine, with the finals have been postponed to originally June, but now I believe they've been moved back to April 26th or something like that. Japan, uh, big Japan, keeps kind of you know flip flopping. I would say so. But the matches to check out would be Daisuke Sakamoto versus Asami Kodaka. T Hawk versus Ryuchi Kawakami, T Hawk versus Daichi Hashimoto, and my new favorite, Yuya Aoki versus Yasufumi Nakanu. Um, Yuya Aoki is the Big Japan Wrestling Junior Heavyweight Champion, so, him being in the strong climb is pretty much the same as Will Ospreay joining the G1 last year. And Aoki has this insane fighting spirit and is just so much fun to watch in his counters and just everything he does in the ring i am just rooting for this guy to take it all amazing performer on to uh 2aw did a show on march 25th or 26th recently um the main event being shu asakawa versus yuji okabayashi for the 2aw openweight championship um it was a great match of yuji just playing the territorial giant the the sort of hired gun that comes in and is probably going to run through the 2AW locker room now having won the championship. Asakawa put up a fantastic fight though in the last five to seven minutes of this match were just genuinely great professional wrestling. Um, in Basara there was an unfortunate Union Pro Title Max Union Pro Max title incident. Um, I was excited for the match between Masahiro Takanashi and Fuminori Abe or Abe. However, takanashi suffered what looked like a hairline fracture within the first minute and a half of the match after a single leg takedown it looked like the bone in takahashi's takanashi's leg sort of just popped out and he just sat there and then the match ended so bit of a bummer it's especially gotta suck i can imagine to have to one visit a hospital right now two be injured at this time and three you know when wrestling shutting down and you're out of work now you're truly out of work which is even more unfortunate and this was probably the last time that either of these guys would have gotten to wrestle for a good amount of time and it's just got to be very disheartening and sad so my heart goes out to masahiro takanashi finally all Japan Pro Wrestling had their final event, What We Can Do Now, on April 6th, following the cancellation of the Champions Carnival. It was a six-man tag match between Kento Miyahara, Suwama, and Zeus, taking on the team of Jake Lee, Shuji Ishikawa, and Yuma Aoyagi. Eoy- uh, this is a five-star match, without a doubt. It may even be the best six-man tag match I've seen. It goes, about, it goes 60 minutes, and... What I would say for the more casual fans or for the fans that aren't as well versed in Japanese wrestling, what you have here is essentially the equivalent of if WWE one day just said, you know, well, we're not gonna be able to film wrestling for a bit, so let's go all out. And they did a six-man tag featuring the teams of John Cena, Bray Wyatt, and Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton, Seth Rollins, and Daniel Bryan. Think about the amount of history The amount of backstabbing love, friendship, hatred that permeates all six of those interactions. So, not only do you have people like Jake Lee and Zeus murdering each other, Shuji, Shikawa, and Suwama quite literally beating each other to a pulp, but you also have Suwama and Kento Miyahara beefing on their own team as well. And so many stories roped into this epic, massive, just beautiful storytelling match i mean it's just this is everything that you could ever want out of wrestling it the 60 minutes blow by it is stiff it is powerful it is six men who don't know when they're going to get to wrestle next giving it their absolute fucking all and what's fantastic too is that in the audience there there are no fans but rather the all japan pro wrestling office staff as well as a couple other wrestlers and so there doesn't there is no lack of noise to say the least and they even do chants for Ishikawa and all the people and my god yeah I'm not going to spoil the ending of the match but it's a battle and it ends like a fucking battle it's just go out of your way to check this one out um concluding our coverage of Japan right now I wanted to Close with a quote by Hiroshi Tanahashi that he gave at the House hearing for Japanese wrestling recently. He said, I think it should be acceptable for professional wrestling to be the last sport to return to full activity. I want people to know that when professional wrestling is back, then and only then it means truly that Japanese entertainment has properly recovered. Thank you, Ace. Um, On to a little bit of coverage. So Monday Night Raw this past week. We now have our main event feud. So as this past Friday, we got Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. Now we're going to get Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. I think if we look back at last year's Postmania, this is a hell of a lot better than Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin. So while Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins is a matchup that I think, I can't really tell how many times we've seen it before, but it feels familiar. I am confident that these two will go all out um, and then I think that Bray versus braun is actually a f- completely fresh feud and it writes itself so here's to hoping that it's not limited by the sort of kfab constraints of the fiend um there was a pretty good match between Alistair Black and Oni Lorkin as well as said ricochet and the Viking Raiders I thought that was a great 3.75 star match um Rick said ricochet really put heat on the viking raiders in the first five ten minutes of this match i mean it was just move after move after move but flawless tag team wrestling and they came up short but you could tell that they are starting to really blend cohesively as a team and i think that's what you need and also i love the fact that the viking raiders still won because as uh don callis said an established tag team should always beat two thrown together stars um now then for aew dynamite John Moxley retained against Jake Hager in a, I think, a 35, 30-minute match, maybe 25-minute match, given commercials, but um, in an empty arena match in Jacksonville. Um, The match was hyped up a lot by Moxley on Wrestling Observer Live yesterday. You know, he was talking about how it was the stiffest match ever that he's done this year. And when you think about the matches he's had this year, whether it be Lance Archer or Minoru Suzuki... um, there's been a lot of stiff matches so to say I was excited was an understatement I think that you know Jay Kager is obviously someone that doesn't really have shades of gray but is just a garbage human um and uh, you know in wrestling you you can look past those things to an extent but here I thought the match was fine it did not exceed expectations I don't really think it met them either I think that The choice to have it be a one-man call wasn't really the right idea. I think that if you're able to bring in JR, then you should have brought in Excalibur as well, just to sort of have at least a a back-and-forth about the match. And I think that more than anything, these three men gave it their all, and I think Moxley was absolutely the star here. Moxley is the AEW champion, rightfully so. All of his performances are pretty damn great. But as a whole, it just didn't sustain my attention. And then also bouncing back and forth between the debut of Timothy Thatcher, that was just more... Exciting to me as a huge, huge Timothy Thatcher fan to finally see him on a live television format. Um, That was really a treat, but I have to imagine that, you know, for him as well as the now known Carrion Cross instead of Killer Cross, it had to be a bit bittersweet to debut today under the circumstances. So, um, other than that, AEW Dynamite was uh, relatively a filler show, so it's nice that they had this main event to bolster it. I'm hoping next week will be a bit more exciting um on nxt we had tegan knox getting a getting a quick win over raquel gonzalez through a roll-up we had the first match of the nxt interim cruiserweight tournament between isaiah swerve scott uh, isaiah swerve uh, scott i must call him strickland shane strickland and akira Tozawa, which Tozawa won. one great match go on your way to check it out um I'm really excited for the rest of this Cruiserweight tournament. I think WWE has been, has, should have should have done a round-robin-type tournament like this years ago because they absolutely have the amount of talent, and with the amount of shows that they have, such as Main Event, 205 Live, you can do such a large-style tournament and just put matches on every show, and it limits the uh, promos you need, the angles, everything. You just need a really well-booked tournament tournament think about how many stories come in and out of the G1 every year I mean that's what is so fascinating about these tournaments is that each character goes in you know with sort of like a story that develops throughout think about Will Ospreay trying to prove himself as the junior heavyweight champion amidst a group of heavyweights Shingo Takagi showing that he can stand toe-to-toe with them Ishii proving that once again he has the matches of the year Okada trying to stave away people coming after his title it's just it's so great and i think that gato you know sort of de facto wins booker of the year every year that there is a g1 because booking all those storylines um at the same time is just it's a it's a remarkable feat um now then on to our good match of the night our main event baby It is Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. versus Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody from All Japan Pro Wrestling December 8th, 1984. So, a little bit of background on this match. The teams had two televised matches in 1983 with inconclusive finishes. Thus, they had some unresolved issues, to say the least. Now, something I want to start doing with each match is uh, listing the, the amount of matches that each competitor has its five stars. So Terry Funk has two matches, one tag, one singles. The other one being against Ric Flair that are five stars. Stan Hansen having three matches, two tags, one singles. The other tag being with Terry Gordy. And the singles match being for 1993 against Kenta Kobashi, which, oh my god, I cannot wait to watch that match. As we are now going... By the way, we're, at, we're now going in a... um in a chronological order with these matches um so what i'm going to do from now on what we are going to do is that isai and i is that we're going to save the biographies for the wrestlers for like when it's their last five-star match or it's their only five-star match so for terry funk and stan hansen tonight we're not going to jump into too much of who they are or what not, I can kind of assume that. Listeners of this show, since it's fairly niche, would at least be somewhat familiar with Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. However, if you're not, look them up real quick. Most of these bios are just quick grabs from the Wikipedia to sort of satiate the uh, desire to know a little bit about these figures. So definitely check those out, and then we'll do a deeper dive into those figures on their respective episodes, because I feel like four biographies back-to-back, you kind of lose a lot, and I don't feel like how... um, how memorable that will actually be. So, first off, we're going to talk about Bruiser Brody. Um, Bruiser Brody was definitely a character. He was a figure in wrestling. There's a reason why so many of today's figures such as, you know, Mick Foley, Luke Harper, Brody Lee, obviously Brody Lee so many people that you know, John Moxley coming through the crowd. It's all these little facets of character work and performance and presence that were essentially adopted from the special attraction that is bruiser brody Meltzer noted that uh japan legitimately saw him as perhaps the most dangerous man alive um he also worked on the names king kong brody mass marauder red river jack uh brody was synonymous with hardcore wrestling and blood and was considered a special attraction uh sort of in the same vein as andre the giant Making appearances around the world for companies such as WWF, CSW, which was Central States Wrestling, CWFF, the Championship Wrestling something Florida, all Japan Pro Wrestling, as well as the WCCW. He was, uh, which I think I don't want to jump too much into the story of Bruiser Brody's murder here because I think that again that's something that deserves its own episode, and maybe we can do start doing some coverage of dark side of the ring. I think that would be a nice little bonus to maybe do. Um, since we have a lot of free time at this moment. Uh, yeah, so I would say that if you want to learn more about Bruiser Brody, his story, especially his murder watch his episode of Dark Side of the Ring because it does absolutely more justice than I could ever do. Um, in terms of accolades, Brody was a NWA Champion, PWF World Tag Team Champion, NWA CSW Champion, NWA Florida Champion, part of the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2007, uh, inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame in 2019, the best brawler in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter for 1980 through 1984, as well as 87 and 88, among many, many other accolades and championships. Now, on to Dory Funk Jr., he was the son of Dory Funk and brother of Terry. He's a promoter of uh, the uh, Amarillo, Texas-based Western State Sports. He invented the Texas Cloverleaf Submission Maneuver and still to this day at the age of 79 runs the Funkin' Conservatory Wrestling School. Um, That's like Funkin' Conservatory. It's just got to be... A player. I mean, like, that's they know exactly what they're doing there. Uh, Dory Funk Jr. is historically the second longest reigning NWA champion of all time behind Lou with a reign of four years. He was also inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2009. I want to check this real quick. I feel like Stan Hansen, I know, is also in the WWE Hall of Fame, um, but it's Terry Funk. So. Uh, Stan Hansen was inducted in 2016. Okay. Nope. Terry Funk was inducted along with his brother into the WWE hall of fame in 2009. So that's awesome. So this is a match uh, comprised of four hall of famers. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Dory Funk Jr.'s career began in 1963. He wrestled for NWA for 24 years until 87. Yeah, All Japan for 14 years from 73 to 87. The WWF in 1986. Hell, he'd even show back up again in All Japan in the 90s with Terry and even ECW in 94-96. and 96. And then again he showed up in All Japan pro wrestling in 2013, nearly 20 years later, where he teamed with Terry in a tag match that went to a time limit draw with Fuchi and Nishimura. That's insane. So at the age of 73, Dory Funk Jr. wrestled a tag team match that went to a 20-minute time limit draw for All Japan Wrestling. That's why I love wrestling. People never stop. So as we said, I'll uh, reiterate, the match background was that the two teams had televised matches in 1983 with inconclusive finishes. Thus, they had some unresolved issues. Now then, for the match itself, Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen versus Dory Funk and Terry Funk. Dory Funk, or the Funk Brothers. First, the match starts off, uh, well, the show starts with four women in the ring, each holding a bouquet, as it is Japan, and then we get the match graphic, 30 minutes, one fall. Dory and Terry come out first. A fan in the crowd waves an American flag as Dory and Terry fight through a rabid audience to enter the ring. I mean, this is pure 80s elation crowds. Like, I'm talking, these people are... It looks like the barricades are going to crumble in. All that stuff where it's just absolutely rabid. Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen come out next. Just absolute fucking beasts. And the song that they come out to sounds like a uh, a riff on um, The Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. A whole lot of sonic elements playing there. A plethora of streamers enter the ring and dress the men as they prepare for battle. The bell then rings and Stan immediately begins attacking Terry who is standing on the apron as Dory's in the ring. Dorian Hansen then begin to run the ropes, and Dory tags Hansen with a with a shoulder tackle. Hansen then applies a side headlock on Dory, who then uh, as he tags in Brody. And this is what we're gonna see a lot is um, throughout the match, is Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody essentially hitting a couple moves, putting the other man in a submission, and then walking him back to the corner and tagging in their partner. That's uh, almost the entirety, actually. So this is psychologically, it's very sound. It is. Uh, this is a fight. Everything makes sense. These are guys who, to them, wrestling is absolutely real, and they'll do everything they can to protect it. So. Um, Bruiser Brody then hits the ropes as he's tagged in, kicks Dory Funk who's pinned against the opposite side by Stan Hansen. So a lot of tag team maneuvers, a lot of uh, guys standing in the ring to hold the other guy down as the other hits him. Bruiser Brody slams Dory Funk and then hits an arm dragging a side headlock. Dory Funk makes his way to his feet and applies a headlock on a Brody. They then run the ropes and Brody leapfrogs Dory Funk a couple times and then throws him into Stan Hansen's big boot. So it looks like every time when the funks are about to get an inch, they meet defeat. Um, Bruiser Brody then slams Dory Funk Jr. down And hits an arm drag into a side headlock Shit that's where I just was My apologies So he gets thrown into Stan Hansen's big boot We then get a double team Irish whip Into a drop kick by Stan Hansen Who then uh, drops a big knee into Dory Funk's gut And slams him down Stan Hansen then hits a running elbow drop Into a pin one count In the first pin attempt of the match Hanson applies a rear naked choke and Funk fights to his feet. We still haven't even gotten Terry in this match yet. Bruiser Brody slams Dory Funk again and applies another headlock. And again, as I said, there's obviously a system in play here. Grapple move, wear him down, double team. Grapple move, wear him down, double team. Dory Funk gets out, hits Bruiser Brody and tags in Terry, who starts hitting punch after elbow after punch after elbow and a snapmare, then a drop kick on a snapmare, and then he misses an elbow drop. Another classic case of getting an inch and then meeting defeat. Stan Hansen makes him pay for it then as Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen strangle and mangle t- t- Terry Funk on the ropes. So it looks like they almost have him in a tarantula of sorts except Brody's behind him in the ring and Stan Hansen's in front of him on the outside. And these two men are just, he's, he's sort of pretzled in between the ropes all tied up in it. And they're just walloping on this guy, just brutally beating the hell out of him. Um, Bruiser Brody holds Terry Funk as Stan Hansen lays in a powerful kick to the gut. Elbows to the head and throws Terry into the turnbuckle as he lays in some stiff punches. Hanson lands in jab after jab into a hook and tags in Brody, who hits a drop kick on Terry Funk. Funk gets up and hits a move or a bump. I'm not entirely sure what happened here. Basically, Brody tags, uh, not, not tag, I say tag to mean hit. Bru- Bruiser Brody shoulder tackles Funk down. Funk stands up and then bumps backwards, not like a flare flop forward. But bumps backwards and for those of you who don't know what a flare flop is a flare flop is like you get hit You drop to the ground and then you stand up and you're kind of dazed and then you just slowly Drop forward like a tipped over skyscraper um, So I have really no fucking clue what's going on here. I saw that a lot of the complaints for the match um, actually I'll get into this because I see a note right here, so bruiser Brody gets up after uh, funk uh, does the weird bump and Terry Funk headbutts him. He then tags in Dory Funk, who lays in a, a grip of uppercuts. Bruiser Brody then meets that with a big boot, which ultimately takes down Dory Funk. Though, so a complaint that I heard with this match was that there was a distinct lack of selling between the men, and is uh, is what that was accompanied by a distinct overselling by Terry Funk. And while I think that Funk does Terry does oversell at times, I think that the other men are bumping big for each other when it calls for it. I mean, they don't drop down and lay there for two minutes, but I mean, they they get off their feet, which is more than The Rock and Jason Statham and Vin Diesel do in the Fast and Furious movies. So I think that it's, uh, it's nitpicking, I would say. And that's not going to say I'm super big on this match because to me, this was not a five-star match, but just because they're not laying down after it doesn't mean anything. They're playing with a surprisingly quick pace here that I appreciated. I think if this was any slower, it would have been pretty hard to get through this match. So after Brody Brody hits the big boot, which takes Dory Funk down, we then get a double flip by Hansen and Brody on Funk, who then hits Stan Hansen after a missed elbow drop. Dory Funk slams Stan Hansen and uh, hits an elbow drop. They begin to use essentially their Ad asked the question, are these men and if anyone can tell me just because we uh well, I I don't have the historical context to know. But this exchange of elbow drops, uppercuts, everything, is this is this the teams using each other's arsenals is a sort of sign of anything you can do. I can do better. You know, when a wrestler uses another wrestler's finishing move, it's, it's typically pretty, you know, it, it's a impressive thing. What what you say with that is sort of fuck you. Right. And um, so I guess I'm interested as to whether or not this exchanging um, was using each other's arsenals or if merely these were just the moves of the time. And so each man just kind of did the same moves. So if anyone has any, uh, any notes on that let me know so then dory funk and stan hansen begin to exchange chop into uppercut chop into uppercut chop into uppercut sort of this early king's road style Stan Hansen that applies a beer big rear naked choke which tory terry funk breaks up bruiser brody tags in and lands a big running knee on dory who is then viciously knocked down by stan almost a thrust like spartan cake just a boom shotgun to the chest brody holds dory on his knees and then stan drops a big old knee on him Brody goes for a pin, but it's quickly broken up by Terry. Hanson goes, tags in, and goes for a lariat, but misses Dory, who uppercuts and takes control. And Dory then hits a big vertical suplex, goes for the pin, one count, third pin attempt. So we're still not to a two count yet, folks. Terry then tags in, double-team maneuver. Terry shoulder tackles Stan, who drops down after two. Um, who drops after two shoulder tackles. They whip each other into the ropes and Terry's thrown to the outside by Stan. Terry poses strong on the guardrail, asking Stan to come out here and fight. But is quickly blindsided by a boot out of nowhere hashtag bomb bomb baby b-o-m boot out of nowhere by bruiser brody stan hansen drops an elbow off the apron on a terry funk and stan then drags funk around ringside slamming him into the announce table and rolling him back into the ring hansen drops knees repeatedly in a funk skull, digging them in as funk shakes on the rope oh man this has got to suck hansen distracts the ref so brody then can can then get on the fun as well after this Brosie tags in and they hit a double team vertical suplex if they had a team name at this point i'd call them firm control because that's what they have over the funk brothers brody gets funk up for the styles what looks like the styles clash at first holds it for what seems like 30 seconds and then hits a pile driver i put in my notes why like as a joke we just imagine brody hitting a styles clash here and how fucking crazy that would have been You know, given how notoriously Brody protected his character, that would have been really funny. Um, Brody then goes for a pin, two-count, fourth-pin attempt. Tags in Hanson, who then Irish whips Funk into a nasty chop straight to the chest. Funk sells like Ric Flair and just crumbles to the ground, so we get a flare-flop here after staggering. Hanson applies some serious frontal pressure to Terry Funk. Funk gets away and tags in Dory, begins to just beat the living hell out of Stan Hanson. Elbow, uppercut, snap mirror, punch, dropkick, etc., Brody uppercut, um, Dory Funk uppercuts uh, Brody, who is now in, goes for a vertical suplex twice and hits it the third time, goes for a pin, gets a two-count fifth attempt. Dory then whips Stan Hansen, who kicks Dory in the head. Stan Hansen scoop slams him, uh, scoop slams Dory and tags him Brody, who climbs to the top rope. Bro- Brozer Brody is perched and hits a double axe handle to a crippled Dory Funk Jr.'s back. Oh my god. Brody then scoop slams Dory Funk now into much more of a power slam than I'd say than a scoop slam. This is another two count in our sixth pin attempt of the match. Brody then tags in Stan who puts Dory into an abdominal stretch. Stan begins to claw and tear at Dory's abdomen, working the sides and ribs as he hits a picture-perfect gut-wrench suplex. Stan then puts Dory in a front face lock as bruiser Brody tags in and hits a splash. Two count, seventh pin attempt. Brody slams Dorian, goes for another pin. Two count, seven, or eighth pin attempt. And this has been a really nice evolution of the pin attempts here. And I was happy I was paying attention to the number of as well as the actual counts. Because they be uh, the, the, the pins themselves tell a story. And I think that at this point in the match, they become more desperate as well as prolonged. Stan then tags in his shoulder, tackles Dory. Throws Dory into a turnbuckle and holds his arm behind his back as Bruiser chop, uh, Brody chops him. Dory then goes for a backdrop driver, but Stan runs in and kicks Dory as Terry runs in and fights Stan. The four men begin to brawl in the middle of the ring. Brody sent to the outside. Funk sent to the outside. By the ref is uh, Dory uppercuts Stan. Dory's upper Irish whipped out the ring. Stan Shoulder tackles the ref into Terry on the outside as Stan continues the attack. So now the ref is out of this. And uh, at this point, I felt that there was a lot of shades of Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask in the sense that, yes, this is a professional wrestling match, but this is much more than that. There is so much bad blood and there is so much heat between these teams there's so much hatred that winning isn't essentially the only thing on their minds right it was like first it was winning but now i want to kill you because Ty- dynamite kid constantly goes f- to try to win but then he gets so frustrated he starts attacking refs he starts beating the hell it's like you know anything but the pin is what matters right now and this is uh this feels indicative of the times. I feel like we don't really get these sort of matches anymore. I feel like matches nowadays are really relying upon a conclusive finish versus um, this sort of hatred because a lot of the time back then, guys like this, they wouldn't get pinned. Think about the Road Warriors. Think about Baba. Think about so many people you know, that never did the job, essentially Hogan, etc. So, yeah. Um, so after this, the ref has been bumped out of the ring. Brody now drives Dory Funk's head into the announce table as Stan Hansen walks over with what looks like the most painful fucking Japanese table imaginable. This thing is tiered. It's got a little table underneath the table, right? They hit Dory in the back with the table several times. Terry then runs over to help Dory's, and, um, Terry runs over to help Dory or to help, as Dory is rolled back into the ring. Terry then launches an attack on a Brody, but is hit by Stan on the apron, viciously hit and kicked down. Streamers begin to enter the ring again. The entire thing has broken down at this point, from the bumped ref, to the men just beating the hell out of each other with tables and whatever they can get their hands on, to the audience now throwing streamers and just chanting loudly. Hanson hits a big elbow drop, his Bruiser Brody plays defense on the apron against uh, Terry Funk. I would say this match is broken down. It's like holding a professional wrestling match on the island of Pinocchio where all the kids just break shit and grow donkey ears. So this is a chaotic environment, and I'm loving it. For uh, Dory Funk is now crawling around the center of the ring as they show the injured ref on the outside being tended to. Hanson and Brody are just taking complete advantage of the situation and getting in hit after hit after hit. Brody begins to drag the ref back in the ring and Terry begins to headbutt the damn ref right as he hits Brody and Stan Hansen with Brody's chain. A red shirt ref I think maybe but it could also just be All Japan's staff now goes in the ring and Terry Funk begins to attack him as well and to me this was kind of like the emotions of the match have just taken over control completely. Like is Funk trying, is Terry trying to protect his brother here from a pin by hitting the ref? Or is he just like, fuck it. We're completely out of control, buddy. Let's just get this damn thing going. So now there's been two refs hit. I get just Funk headbutting. The ref is such a fun image. Um, they said Terry is now attacking them with the chains. This is really just dubbed into chaos as the, the bell is repeatedly ringing the men viciously brawl around. Again, it feels very reminiscent of Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. Brody and Stan Hansen throw the chair into the ring and brawl their way back to throughout the crowd. Funk hits them with chains again as they enter the back of the arena now. And as we cut to... So Brody and Stan fight their way all the way to the locker rooms. Terry chases him with the chain. Terry's swinging the chain like Brody in the audience, almost hitting people. We get a cut to Dory Funk still laying in the ring like, God damn it, I'm absolutely too old for this already. This guy's still wrestling 35 years later. Or he looks like, oh my God, I'm about to sneeze and shit. Hard to say which one's which. Terry is now f- randomly fighting young lions or all just all Japan dressed staff in the entranceway. Terry returns somewhat to ringside and is spinning around the chain near the audience as Dory is being attended to by the all Japan wrestlers. Terry then re enters the ring to some cheers. So the match is over. The match ends in a what seems like a double count out or a DQ. Bob is now ringside along with uh, helping Dory funk. He walks out and then Baba gets up on the apron and it's like this total fucking brawl between dudes in office clothes and all Japan staff. It's just completely nutty. So if anyone can provide context for what's happening here at the end of this match, I would be super, super grateful. Um, So yeah, I would say that overall thoughts for me, I feel like a five-star match really has to have a conclusive finish. And that's not to say that it always has to be one guy pinning the other, but even if it's like a time limit draw, like for instance, I that All Japan match. Shit, I said I wasn't going to spoil the ending, but I just did. Okay, so the All Japan match, right? 60 minutes goes to a sixty uh, time limit draw, right? But it doesn't take anything away from the match because these guys fought their fucking hardest. But this one, it just doesn't feel like anything was eventually said. This match felt ultimately like filler and a bigger feud. And I'll have to go back and do my research to see if this feud continued and if there eventually was a conclusive finish but you know it just didn't have that uh that quality that kept me interested fascinated you know uh connected so while this did have the believability and felt like a real brawl it also had cycling in the same spots with no real payoff which had the excitement sort of waning by the end um it was a lot of feeling excited without any sort of reciprocity, and it's like, how long can I feel this excitement until I'm just gassed? It was an incredibly well-worked match, solid psychology, super indicative of the times, but not something that blew me away or that I'll probably even remember when all is said and done. Obviously, the crowds ate up these massive monster feuds back then, and while I do look back at it with a modern lens, it's still not up to snuff. Overall, for me, I would give this match three stars, which is the lowest that I've graded one so far, um even the nobuiku takada versus uh Suzaki match i thought was better than this and that was uh, about the same length then you know but oh well i'm still really excited to be doing this and uh hopefully we get east back hopefully he's feeling better so we can get him on the next show again let me see what the uh what the next show is so and then also i'm going to start going back in time and doing some reports or just reviews of All GCW shows in chronological order, starting with 2015. So, so far, we have done Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask, Kazuo Yamazaki, oh, not Sasaki, my apologies. Kazuo Yamazaki versus Nobuyiku Takada from UWF, as well as Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen versus Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. So next up, we have Kuniaki Kobayashi versus Tiger Mask from All Japan Pro Wrestling, March 9th, 1985. And I just noticed, and I'm not sure how long this has been added here, but it looks like Ric Flair versus Butch Reed from April 7th, 1982, from the promotion Championship Wrestling from Florida, um, from April 7th, 1982, is a five-star match as well. So it looks like that, huh, looks like we'll have to go back and do on that as well. So, all right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. I hope you're all doing well and hanging in there. Remember, in a time like this, most importantly, take the time to be kind to yourself. You don't need to write the next great novel or make the next great film or anything. You just got to keep your head up. You just got to survive and just be there for each other. Have a wonderful day. And this is out from Good, 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 Good Matt Show, baby.